Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 190. Squeezing him down there, deep inside her, and this time he could not ride or surf it. This time it picked him up and spun and tumbled him away, and he was arching up, pushing into her as deeply as he could imagine, as if they were in some way part of the same creature, tasting, drinking, holding, wanting. Let it happen, she said, her voice a throaty, feline growl. Give it to me, let it happen. And he came, spasming and dissolving, the back of his mind itself liquefying, then sublimating slowly from one state to the next. Somewhere in there at the end of it he took a breath, a clear draft of air he fell all the way down to the depths of his lungs, and he knew that he had been holding his breath for a long time now. Three years at least, perhaps longer. Now rest, she said, and she kissed his eyeballs with her soft lips. Let it go, let it all go. The sleep he slept after that was deep and dreamless and comforting, and Shadow dived deep and embraced it. The light was strange. It was, he checked his watch, 6.45 a.m. and still dark outside, but the room was filled with a pale blue dimness. He climbed out of the bed. He was certain that he had been wearing pajamas when he went to bed, but now he was naked and the air was cold on his skin. He walked to the window and closed it. There had been a snowstorm in the night. Six inches had fallen, perhaps more. The corner of the town that Shadow could see from his window, dirty and run down, had been transformed into somewhere clean and different. These houses were not abandoned and forgotten. They were frosted into elegance. The streets had vanished completely, lost beneath a white field of snow. There was an idea that hovered at the edge of his perception, something about transience. It flickered and was gone. He could see as well as if it were full daylight. In the mirror, Shadow realized something strange. He stepped closer and stared, puzzled. All his bruises had vanished. He touched his side, pressing firmly with his fingertips, feeling for one of the deep pains that told him he had encountered Mr. Stone and Mr. Wood, hunting for the greening blossoms of bruise that Mad Sweeney had gifted him with. And... And that's our page. Here at the top of the page, we get a reiteration of Shadow completely and utterly misunderstanding what the woman meant when she said down there two pages ago. Oh, Shadow, what a dunce. Shadow and Bast complete their transformation into the beast with two backs, and we get another impression that perhaps Shadow and Laura's marriage wasn't all we've been led to believe up to this point. It's noted that Shadow was holding his breath for three years at least, but it could have been longer. The three years, of course, is the time he spent in prison, but beyond that would have been his marriage with Laura and then his life before Laura. The book in this chapter is giving us perspective here that Shadow has been deeply unhappy for quite some time, but Previously, we were told that his marriage to Laura is what saves him from being just a big guy with muscles. Even then, just meeting one person or having one romantic relationship isn't always enough to undo years of pain and trauma. Of course, neither is one really great sexual experience, but perhaps it's different when it's a cat goddess from Egypt. Seeing Cairo covered in new snow, Shadow is overcome with the idea that the town itself is transformed by the snow, and something about transience just is right there at the edge of his sleep-frosted mind, but he's not able to get a handle on it. That's transience, as in only lasting for a short amount of time, not transients who likely died in the snowstorm because they live in a country that doesn't value them enough to find them food and shelter, but that's for another podcast. What is this that crackles at the far reaches of his mind? I don't know. I'm pointing it out on the page because I feel like I need to really cement in my brain that this happened. It seems similar to the suicidal thoughts Shadow experienced briefly before, not in tone, but more in how it appears and kind of sits there for a moment and then disappears and dissolves. Also, 
maybe I'll just remember it if I just keep talking about it. Transients, transients, transients. There is the forgettable god who we met briefly before the House on the Rock. No, after the House on the Rock. But I don't think this is related to that. Probably. It's also noted that Shadow can see as if he's chugged a night vision potion. Well, not in those words exactly, but he's able to see well in the dark because he fucked a cat lady? Or maybe a manifestation of his demigod abilities? I think more likely it's just that when it snows and the sun reflects off the snow, it's going to be significantly brighter. No, not the sun. When the moon reflects off the snow, it's going to be significantly brighter and almost like it's daytime. Shadow also notes that his bruises and other aches and pains are healed, so literal sexual healing? I feel that this also must force me to point out that here's another character who passes through as a sexual interest like Bilquis. Laura has to die in order for Shadow to begin his journey with Wednesday, but at least she gets to come back with superpowers. Bast appears mostly in cat form and helps Shadow fuck away his trauma, so now he's healed and ready to continue on his adventure. The chapter in this section of the book only lasts for another seven... ten pages? Fourteen pages. It's not much longer beyond this, though. Niels used the phrase down at heel at least twice in this book so far, and one of the times he was referring to the gods themselves. I felt bad for Jekyll before, and Ibis is certainly in the same boat worship-wise, but what about Bast? Is this a form of worship she can feed off of, as Bilquis seems to? We're not given enough information to know that, based on at least what we're given here in the book. But I suppose there's nothing in the history of the Egyptian goddess Bastet that gives me any reason to think that it's the case. If you want to talk about transients, let's talk about the women in Shadow's orbit and how they're only there when he needs them, or in limited capacity. Otherwise, they're pushed back to the periphery of the novel. Even more minor characters like Sam and Zoria Pulishnaya were examined for their attractiveness and the sexual response they drew from Shadow, and that's almost all we get, especially with Zoria Pulishnaya. Sam does show up again, and we'll get a little bit more on her, but not a lot. None of these women are particularly damsels in distress, although Sam does joke about this when she's trying to get a ride from Shadow. But at the same time, the roles for the women in this novel are brief, sexual in ways in a lot of instances, and it makes me uncomfortable in a way I hadn't really considered since the last time I read the book. I know that it's one of those things that they were working on with the TV show to give Laura more of a presence and more of a character other than dead wife, undead wife, fucker up of people who want to hurt Shadow, but it's not present in the novel itself. And I know the novel was written now almost 20 years ago, and 20 years ago was a different time, but it was not that different of a time. I guess it could be equal parts Young Neil and Shadow as a character here for me, but Young Neil is Neil Gaiman. Young Neil Gaiman. Let me start that sentence over. I think it's equal parts Young Neil Gaiman and Shadow as a character. Supporting female characters in Neil's work, especially in Sandman, get a more rounded experience, but it's not always the case. If you look at Stardust, the graveyard book, Ocean at the End of the Lane, the characters are certainly less sexualized and more rounded, but I, I guess I also haven't read any of those books in a recent enough time to remember how good the representation actually is. Shadow is a good guy overall, and I'm certain that his views on women are probably pretty good, but he also has these these moments that skirt the edge of casual misogyny, if not dive right into it. And it's one of those things that I hadn't noticed that much before, and, and kind of wish I hadn't noticed up to this point, because it's kind of making me like Shadow less. 
but I, I guess I've gone on long enough. Just, as I said before, pay attention to the roles the women play in this novel. The supporting characters that are male don't always end up with the same... They don't have the same end result. They're not just sexual beings or anything like that. I'll have more reason to dig into Shadow in about a month or so when he moves on from Cairo, but for now, just keep this all in mind and hope that when the sequel hits, there's an improvement. I imagine there must be after 20 years. And also, Amanda Palmer's shining influence, hopefully. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash worldbeyondpodcast. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme song. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page. And remember, only the gods are real.